I'm Dave Cauley, investigative journalist and host of the podcast, Cold. In October of 1985, a woman named Cherie Warren left work at a busy Salt Lake City office. To meet her estranged husband at a downtown auto dealership. She never made it home. Cherie's car surfaced weeks later in Las Vegas. In the parking lot of a hotel casino. No one knows how it got there. Strange. It was strange. Both Cherie's estranged husband and her boyfriend raised suspicion for investigators. I kind of thought that he might have done something. But no arrests were ever made. In Cold Season 3, we dig into double lives, make new connections in the case, and examine the difficulty raised by reasonable doubt. We want answers just as much as anyone else. They have creeps like that now, too, so nothing's changed. That's the new Cold Season 3, The Search for Cherie. Now available anywhere you get your podcasts. Inside Sources. Welcome back, everyone, to Inside Sources. I am Boyd Matheson, opinion editor of the Deseret News. Great to be with you today. And uh, we're going to round out our week. We've been talking about leadership all week long this week. And we've had the chance to talk to different uh, elected officials, candidates for office, business folks. And uh, we're very pleased to be joined on the line now by Utah's lieutenant governor and candidate for governor, Spencer Cox. Spencer, thanks for joining us. Good morning, Boyd. It's great to be with you. So uh, we've been talking about leadership all week, so I'll, I'll start with the uh, the drill question, uh, and that is if you had to choose one trait, one trait uh, that we should be looking for in leaders today, uh, what is that? Wow, that, that's a fascinating question, one, one trait. I, you know, I, I actually believe that, that right now the trait that we need more than ever is, is just the ability to communicate. Um, that seems to be lost on so many. I, I found in, in, in my throughout my life and my career, my opportunity to serve, that most people will do the right thing if you give them the, the right information and the mm-hmm. best information. And far too often, we, we kind of hoard that information. I remember during the, um, we had big fires in our county, and my town of Fairview was evacuated back in 2012. And, and I remember the, the, the federal response team, they would put out a, a piece of paper, like a one-pager every morning, and that was their idea of communicating. And of course, when, when there's a lack of communication, that, that, that void will always get filled. That vacuum will get mm-hmm. filled, but it usually gets filled with bad information. And so leaders that can communicate and and talk to the people in their language and explain to them the situation, even if it's bad news, will will, uh, get the trust of the people that they're leading and uh, and allow them to implement whatever needs to be done to get them out of that crisis. Oh, fantastic. That's uh, that's a great answer, by the way. Uh, In our first segment, we talked about the the uh, press conference, according to Big Bird, he actually delivered one today on the coronavirus that was 24 seconds long, and it was awesome. Covered everything; it was amazing. Uh, but that's a, a great and important one. And obviously, right now you're you're in the in the throes of a one just a fascinating position to be in uh, in terms of leading out uh, with the coronavirus task force. You're also the lieutenant governor with a host of other responsibilities that normally go with that job, and you're also running for governor at the same time. Uh, what have you learned about leadership in the midst of all of that uh, that ultimately you hope to take with you uh, into the governor's chair? 
Well, I've learned that, that any person or any leader is really only as good as the team they have around them. And I, look, there are different types of leadership, of course. I, I like to look at coaches. I'm a sports guy. You know, there are the Bobby Knight types of leaders, the people that scream in your face and throw chairs and, and physically abuse their, their players. And, and you know what? They won a lot of games uh, with, with that. I, I mean, it, it's effective, I guess, if you're, if you're only looking at, at wins and losses. But, but I certainly don't believe that that's the, uh, the mark of a leader. A, a true leader um, gives credit uh, and builds their team up and realizes that, uh, that, that as we work together and, and, and don't care about who gets the credit, um, we, we actually can do so much more. The synergies that come from groups working together, and I've certainly seen that in every aspect of, uh, of what we're trying to do right now. We are so blessed here in the state of Utah to have incredible public servants, incredible private servants, a nonprofit servants, the faith-based community, all of these people who are willing to come together and, and don't care about what their job description is, that are willing to, to go above and beyond whatever their job description is supposed to be and jump into the fray and figure out solutions and work together. And that's what we're seeing every day. It's, it's not about who the leader is or who's getting credit. It's really about the crowdsourcing of, of, of good things that are happening. And, and there's so much good and so much credit to go around. Yeah. Uh, I wanted to ask you, uh, again, from this unique position that you're sitting in right now and leading from right now, uh, there's there's always going to be that tug and pull between the federal government and federalism and the states. Uh, and particularly we're, we're seeing that now as people are starting to say, OK, maybe maybe we can turn the corner. Maybe we can start doing some things. Uh, you, you mentioned some of these public private partnerships. How is Utah leading in that space and what can the federal government and the rest of the country learn from what's happening here in the state of Utah? Well, what I can tell you is that the, uh, the federal government and, and lots of states are learning from what's happening here in Utah. Um, you know, unfortunately, this, this crisis is so big. Uh, the, the breadth and depth of it, I don't think that people really understand, both from a health standpoint and especially from an economic standpoint. And, and it's not, we can't use our traditional structures, our traditional institutions. We're just never built for something this big. I, I was talking to General Burton the other day, formerly uh, Adjutant General of the National Guard, who said, you know, we, we did tabletop exercises for pandemics and nothing, nothing we did could prepare us for the scope and magnitude of what we're seeing right now. And in those situations, I think it's really critical to look outside, again, of those normal structures. And that's what we've been able to do here in Utah, um, reaching out to the private sector, um, allowing people to be disruptive and innovative on the fly as we're figuring this out. Now, you, you, there are mistakes that are made when you do that, when you're trying to do something that would normally take six months to a year and you're trying to do it in a couple days, uh, there, there will be mistakes. But it also leads us to, to real innovation. And that's what we're sharing with, uh, with other states. We're, we're top 10 for testing, and yet we're, we're, we're top five for um, you know, mortality uh, rates. It, it, all positive things right. uh, that, that a lot of states are struggling with. And I think it's because we don't, we don't think the government has all the answers. We don't rely on government to solve all of our problems. Um, but we realize that there are other people doing other things who have great ideas and, and great resources, and we have to use all of those together. And that's what Utah does best. Um, 
Unfortunately, you know, the federal government has really struggled through this, and I don't think that that's a surprise, um, but we saw it especially in testing early on when tests weren't ready, and uh, they had to start over with testing because the first test they put out was, was bad, and we've seen this struggle to get supply chains stood up, and we, we've just, we've always known this, we just can't rely on the federal government to help us be prepared. Anything they do is great, but we're going to rely on us. Um, the solutions are never going to come from Washington, D.C., or from China or any other place, they're going to come from Utahns figuring it out um, and, and working together. And that's, what, that's what's been happening during this crisis. If you're just joining us, we've got the Lieutenant Governor Spencer Cox on the line. And uh, I know you're going to come back uh, to be with Jeff Kaplan coming up at 1220 to answer some questions about the coronavirus and what's happening next. Uh, but we've got about a, a minute left. And uh, we're obviously we're nine days to the uh, state Republican convention. So I know you're, you're geared up there. You're in the middle of, of that race, marching towards a, a late June uh, primary. I, I always tell people when you're watching a candidate, watch how they handle the ups and downs of the campaign. Watch how they lead in difficult times because that's a, we, we don't elect people to lead us when it's easy. We expect them to lead us when it's hard. Uh, what have you learned on the campaign trail? What do you hope uh, people are looking at rolling into convention and on into June? Well, what I can tell you is I've learned absolutely nothing over the last month on the campaign trail. Um, you know, I, I'm elected to be the lieutenant governor right now, and that's my job today. It's the oath that I swore, and I have been spending every minute. I haven't made one delegate call. Um, I haven't held one town hall. I feel terrible about that. Um, it's what I plan to do, and, and it's not happening. We've asked people not to donate to our campaign, but instead to donate to their neighbors who are, who are struggling right now. I'm fortunate to have an incredible lieutenant governor, and I think that goes uh, candidate. That goes back to my earlier point. You surround yourself with awesome people and you let them do their thing. And she's been taking that on. I'm hoping I will be able to do a town hall this week right before the convention. Um, that's going to be really important. I want to be able to answer questions and talk to people. Uh, but, but we have to make choices in this life and we have to make priorities. And right now my priority is to the state of Utah, not to the campaign trail. As these numbers are changing, we're hoping to be able to open that up and get people back to work and get back to campaigning over the next few weeks but but right now we're, we're laser focused on the crisis of the day all right fantastic lieutenant governor spencer cox and stay with us here on ksl news ready he'll be back at twelve twenty with jeff kaplan to talk more about the coronavirus all right we're going to step aside for a bottom of the hour break when we come back we're going to tell you what the people want opened first it's not what you think stay with us on ksl news radio i'm dave Colley investigative journalist and host of the podcast, Cold. Don't miss Cold's new season three, where I look into the unsolved disappearance of Cherie Warren, a woman last seen leaving her job at a Salt Lake City office in 1985. Police cast suspicion on Cherie's estranged husband and boyfriend, but never made any arrests or recovered Cherie's remains. Find Cold season three, The Search for Cherie, anywhere you get your podcasts.